Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Thursday, February 9th. I'm Peter Biello. On today's episode, a Georgia prison warden has been arrested on conspiracy charges. The vice president talks climate change in Atlanta, and the planned Midtown Connector project gets a financial boost. These stories and more are coming up on this edition of Georgia Today. A Georgia prison warden has been arrested on conspiracy charges and terminated from his job in connection to an ongoing murder investigation. GPB's Grant Blankenship has more. According to the Georgia Department of Corrections, Brian Dennis Adams was fired this week from his position as warden at Smith State Prison in Tattnall County. The termination followed Adams' arrest by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation for a conspiracy to violate the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organization, or RICO Act. According to the GBI, the alleged conspiracy came to light while investigating the murder of 88-year-old Bobby Kicklider in the nearby community of Glenville. It's believed the murder was organized from inside Smith State Prison by an inmate via a contraband cell phone. The alleged organizer was also charged under RICO. Smuggling cell phones into prisons is lucrative. That's one challenge for brand-new Georgia Department of Corrections Commissioner Tyrone Oliver, who says stopping cell phone use in prisons is a top priority. For GPB News, I'm Grant Blankenship in Macon. The Atlanta Police Department has released body cam footage from the site of last month's fatal shooting near the planned Public Safety Training Center. The January 18th shooting resulted in the death of activist Manuel Tehran and left an officer wounded. The videos do not show the incident. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation says officers directly involved were not wearing body cameras. The release comes two days after Tehran's family called for more transparency from the GBI in its investigation. Vice President Kamala Harris spoke in Atlanta yesterday about White House efforts to tackle climate issues. It's part of the Biden administration's efforts to boost awareness of its accomplishments, GPB's Stephen Fowler reports. From poor drinking water quality to electrifying school buses, the vice president touched on a number of climate-related topics Americans face in a half-hour discussion at Georgia Tech. UGA professor Marshall Shepard, who helped moderate the discussion, told the vice president the administration's investment in things like the Inflation Reduction Act and thinking about solutions to severe weather impacting communities was a big help. This is not about polar bears. I like polar bears. They're cute. But this is about kitchen table issues, issues that affect lives in Oakland, California, and Canton, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee. Georgia is one of several stops President Joe Biden and his cabinet are making this week after the State of the Union address, touting the administration's last two years and looking ahead to the next two as Biden likely runs for re-election. For GPB News, I'm Stephen Fowler in Atlanta. The city of Atlanta will receive more than $3 million in federal funding to help finance a project to connect East and West Midtown around the Georgia Tech campus. GPB's Amanda Andrews reports. The Midtown Connector project has been in development for about four years. The plan would build 15 acres of green space over Highway 85 between North Avenue and 5th Street. Plans include a playground, reflecting ponds, walking trails, and an outdoor performance space. Taylor Morrison is with the Midtown Connector Project Foundation. He says this part could help connect the city and make it more walkable. We have great organizations like PATH, like uh, the 
the PATH Foundation and, and the Beltline, in fact, that, you know, we envision in the future building off of this so that we can connect to the Upper West Side, Lower West Side, South Side, where I live, East Side, Northeast Side, you know, all, all around. Morrison says groundbreaking could happen at the end of 2024 with the goal to open the park in 2028. For GPB News, I'm Amanda Andrews. A national trucking research group says Atlanta has nine of the 100 most congested highway bottlenecks in the country. Two of those are in the top five. That's where Interstate 285 meets Interstate 85 North and Interstate 20 West. The American Transportation Research Institute's 2022 congestion report released yesterday found supply chain bottlenecks are worsening across the country. Average rush hour truck speeds were 36 miles per hour, down more than 6% from the year before. A state Senate committee voted yesterday to approve a bill that would apply Georgia's racketeering law to dogfighting. Senate Bill 68 now moves to the full Senate. Applying the state's racketeering law would mean prison sentences of 5 to 20 years instead of the current 1 to 10 years. Supporters say dogfighting is often associated with other crimes and that the proposal also would allow prosecutors to indict more people. Opponents question why a tougher law is needed when most offenses are already felonies and penalties get tougher with additional convictions. Turkish-American and other Georgia-based organizations are sending help to those in need after Monday's earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Erhan Çevikal of the Turkish-American Chamber of Commerce of the South says a Turkey-bound plane left Atlanta yesterday loaded with needed supplies, including blankets and toiletries. It is not easy to reach out everyone uh, quickly in that region. The magnitude is unexperienced by any human. His group has set up two collection points for donations in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta-based CARE and Brunswick-based MAP International are among the larger Georgia-based organizations also coordinating relief efforts. A new test performed by just three neurologists in Georgia can help confirm a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. GPB's Ellen Eldridge has more. The SIN1 skin biopsy test looks for a specific protein that's only found in a handful of conditions. The results help doctors know if neurological symptoms are related to movement, dementia, or a sleep disorder. Georgia patient Chris Griffin says the biopsy results brought him peace of mind and helped him make lifestyle changes and treat his Parkinson's early. When I got the diagnosis, um, it was a relief. I mean, uh, because now I could I could name my demon I could fight my because I could name my demon I could fight my demon. Skin biopsies are available from neurologists in Gainesville, Alpharetta, and Macon. For GPB News, I'm Ellen Eldridge. It was known as the Alabama Industrial School for Negro Children. Located in the Mount Meigs community of Montgomery and was initially intended to be a place where troubled black kids could go instead of prison with adults. It became, to many black children, a place where nightmares played out in real life. Beatings, sexual assaults, torture, and death. It was less about reform than a new kind of slavery, one with echoes in 21st century American life. What happened to those kids at Mount Meg's is the subject of a new podcast, reported and hosted by Atlanta-based journalist Josie Duffy Rice. It's called Unreformed, and Rice joins me now. So tell us about how the idea for this podcast came to be. The idea from this podcast really came from uh, Virginia Prescott in her new role at School of Humans. 
Virginia Prescott is a former host here at GPB, and School of Humans is the production company behind Unreformed. And she reached out to me about two summers ago and said, there's a story about a man named Lonnie Holly, a famous artist here in Atlanta, and a school he went to as a child. Would you be interested in looking into it? This was like kind of the post-George Floyd era, a time when if you cover criminal justice, you were getting a lot of emails about a lot of things. But this one immediately stood out to me. There was something about the story that I felt really tied to. And so that's how we basically spent the past year and a half looking into it. So this started with uh, the story of Lonnie Holly. Can you tell us a little bit about who he was yes. or who he is? Yeah. So Lonnie Holly is... Um, an artist originally from Alabama. He lives here in Georgia now. He's a self-taught artist, and his work has been in the Metropolitan Museum, the National Gallery, the Smithsonian. It's here at the High. You know, he's an incredible, incredible artist. Uh, but before he was an artist, he was an 11-year-old child who had been separated from his family, was living with virtual strangers, and was out past curfew one night and was picked up by the police sent to jail, and then shipped off to Mount Meigs, uh, what was then known as the Alabama Industrial School for Negro Children. And what he endured there was abuse and harrowing conditions that um, have haunted him for the past 50 years. And so this is kind of our attempt to help tell that story. The story is about how the school essentially wasn't really about reform. The, the school for black kids didn't have any teachers, really, right. whereas uh, schools for white kids at that time were actual schools with mm-hmm. actual funding and actual instruction. The difference between these kind of, quote unquote, juvenile reformatories, the black one was for free labor. It was basically a place where kids were sent out in the morning and told t- that when they got back, they better have 100 pounds of cotton in their uh, sack. And this is the 1960s, not the 1860s, right? This was functionally a slave plantation. Um, we hear people call it a penal colony, a kitty prison. All of those terms apply. The only term that doesn't apply is school. And it sounds similar to places like the one described in Colson Whitehead's novel, The Nickel Boys, mm-hmm. the Dozier School in Florida, uh, and also sounds similar to schools, quote unquote schools, using schools in quote, quote marks for, for, for Native Americans who, mm-hmm. where hundreds of Native American children were killed. I think that what's really important about Mount Meigs is a couple of things. One, its place, its literal geographic place at, in the 1960s. This is Montgomery, Alabama. This is Rosa Parks getting arrested on the bus, right? This is Martin Luther King marching you know, through the state. This is George Wallace. And so in the midst of that, just miles away, are kids on a plantation being abused with no one to help them. And it's not just Mount Meigs. It's not just the Dozier School. There was a recent one in Missouri called the Agape School. There, 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 there are places that exist then and now. Um, and so we are uncovering this particular one in hopes that it will lead us to not only uncover more about Mount Meigs, but uncover more about the other institutions like this, which exist throughout the country. You've asked listeners to the podcast to reach out with their stories if they've been to Mount Megs or places like it. What have you heard from people reaching out to you? I've heard a, I've heard a variation of things. So some I've heard it gotten a couple of people who said I went there, right? Um, and I, it's haunted me ever since. Those those have come in the past couple of days. But we've also heard from people who they heard about it from their uncle or their dad or their grandfather. They always knew about this place called Mount Megs, but they never really knew what went on there um, because they didn't talk about it. Uh, And we've also, interestingly, heard from people who 
have worked there, who have, um, you know, been prosecutors, who sent kids there, who have, you know, helped this infrastructure continue. Because remember, Mount Megs exists today. What's the state of Mount Megs today? The short answer is we don't really know. Um, we could not, we were, in, the state of Alabama was not interested in having us on the Mount Max campus, as you may not be shocked to hear. And it's a black box, basically. It's very difficult to get information about how it's operating. I, I want to be clear that I don't think Mount Megs today is what it was in the 1960s. I, I don't. That was a special kind of horror. But I also don't think it's great now. I just talked to someone yesterday who was there six months ago and said it's a pretty dismal place. And so it really kind of exists in that middle ground between, well, we're not what we were, but we're certainly not a place that anybody would want their children to, to be sent to. Has the state of Alabama ever owned up to what happened to the kids they really haven't, other than being kind of court-mandated to own up to it um, in the late 1960s, in the sense that they challenged a court case, they lost, and that was kind of the owning up that was done. But no, there has been no apology. There's been no acknowledgement. There's been no attempt to kind of reach out to the kids who went there. There's really been no attempt, it seems, to even maintain records of who went there, right? Many of these voices are just lost to time. Um, and that's one of the things that I think haunts us. Well, what do you hope listeners take away from this podcast? I think two things are really my focus. The first is that I think it's important for us to witness, to bear witness to what these survivors are telling us. This is our history. It is not that long ago. And we see right now such an effort to avoid learning about history, especially learning about black history. And this is not just black history, it's also white history. But the second thing I want people to take away, and this might sound incongruous <laughs> given the topic, is I do think this is a hopeful story. I do think in a lot of ways it is a testament to human resilience, the capacity for people to change, and the ability for people to be willing to speak about something like this even decades later. The bravery, the courage it takes is unmatched. And I come away from this podcast feeling not devastated by the human condition, but hopeful about it. Well, Josie Duffy Rice, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And the team behind Unreformed is looking for more survivors of Mount Megs and other institutions like it. You can find more information on how to get in touch with them at gpb.org. An Augusta area food bank is celebrating a milestone this week. Golden Harvest Food Bank says in its 40 years, it now has served 300 million meals. That number includes the meals served at the Master's Table Soup Kitchen and the ones given out through their pantries and partner agencies. Golden Harvest Food Bank also says one in eight people in its 25-county service region struggles with hunger, but they have a 10-year plan and goals for each year to make sure no one is without food. And vegetarians take note, Chick-fil-A is getting a new plant-based option. The Atlanta chain announced today it's testing a breaded cauliflower sandwich at restaurants in Denver, Charleston, South Carolina, and the Greensboro, North Carolina area. The test begins February 13th. Chick-fil-A says it spent four years looking for the right veggie to launch, testing out mushrooms, chickpeas, and chopped veggies before settling on cauliflower. Like Chick-fil-A's signature chicken sandwich, the cauliflower steak is marinated, breaded, pressure-cooked, and then served on a bun with two pickle slices. With this move, Chick-fil-A joins the ranks of fast food restaurants offering new options that come close to the taste of meat, but is actually not. 
Witness the Impossible Whopper at Burger King and KFC's Beyond Meat Nuggets. All right, that is it for today's edition of Georgia Today. If you haven't hit subscribe on this podcast yet, do it now. That way you'll stay current with all the top stories in the state. And if you've got feedback, send it our way. Email is best. Send it to georgiatoday at gpb.org. And be sure to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Peter Biello. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.